back, everybody, to part two of the Nibiru movie by Spirit Science. We have with me, as always, the number one podcast CEO, Kieran. How are you, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. We need to do some, um, we, we should run the podcast awards, some kind of we podcast should... awards. <laughs> You and that should be that should be a title that I win every year. The number one podcast <laughs> CEO. You know and... what? There's a guy, there's a guy called, who runs a YouTube, uh, uh, makes videos for uh, uh, called uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he makes videos and his big claim to fame is he makes cool cat videos where he yeah. basically gets an uh, a, in like a, a mascot costume and films himself for children doing certain things. And he has an award ceremony called the 420 Awards, which didn't happen this year. <laughs> but uh, he basically does the same sort of things. Like, what's the most popular movie this film this year? You guys get to decide and you vote on Twitter. And then he runs an award show from his basement. Lovely. Right. So go check that, out Cool Cat. It's amazing. That sounds completely legal. <laughs> and with us this week again, it's trash. He's back because well, he could he he needed to find out what was happening <laughs> at the twelfth mystery planet of Nibiru. Uh and he's here and, right and now. I'm, and, I'm, well. and I'm very Welcome. proud because because Trage gave us a warning going, you know, I may not be here because I've got to be dragged along to um probably oh, bed bed ba- bed bath and beyond. <laughs> he was probably buying um, uh, bed sheets and linen and what is this, uh, what is this episode 139 of our podcast talking about sheets <laughs> probably and uh toiletries and household goods um and i thought oh fuck he's he's in for a day um <laughs> you know i know you got your engagement yeah. ring today but i'm just assuming that it was also filled with other other crap that i have no interest in no, it was it was it was it was a great day. I was not dragged go. along in the slightest. Had a great day. I'm still <laughs> waiting to get mine, which hopefully will happen on Tuesday. But um, yeah, I'm here, and I've been dying to find out what's what's <laughs> happened at the end of this movie. It's a very exciting time because I think now. So let's do a quick recap for everyone that wasn't here last time. The first episode was of this this two-part series. I'm hoping it's two parts because I don't think we can make this a three-parter. But the first episode was about uh, the Anunnaki Sumerian gods and how they interpreted the beginnings of the Earth's type creation and how they went about it, including a whole array of, uh, you know, the number of characters rivals a Stephen King book. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, no, no, this is different to the space juice, but we might get up to the space juice. That was the human history film was the space juice uncovered. This one we, here we've, we've sort the, of, we've chopped around a bit, haven't we? From we different have, stories, for different things. To, yes. So they're all from the same place. So let's just hope they interlinked in some way, but we've, we've talked about the 50,000 characters and how they sort of created the earth back in the day and how some of it kind of is parallel to Christianity. And then the last sort of thing that happened before this new proper Nibiru story will start, what happened was the big thing was that they talked about Zachariah Sitchin, who was mm. the gentleman who right. uh, read over the emerald tablets, which they found, and um, 
don't know, transcribed them. I'm not. Uh, I think I've like, interpreted them in a certain way to tell the stories that we've already watched and we're about to watch going forward about this twelfth planet and all that. Now I've already said this many a time. Zachariah Sitchin is a fraud, complete fraud. And it has been many times been told. Church, this is the first time that you've told me that he's a fraud. <laughs> he has no, <laughs> no, no qualifications of being a translator in the slightest. Mm-hmm. He's complete, like he's got a uh, journalism degree, and that's about it. And he's just written hundreds, or at least a handful of books, but lots of books about this. And everything he's basically said has been discredited. But I'm I'm excited to see because these people, the spirit, at least the Spirit Science channel, and they've got like over a million subscribers. I would say, let, even if we go, twenty five percent of their audience believes in what he's saying. That means at least two hundred and fifty thousand people think this is the history of the Earth and how it was created. And they believe that a planet X, Nibiru planet, actually exists, which is very frightening. Or, or very exciting. Very exciting. <laughs> well, maybe it's true. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's true. I, I don't know. I can only speculate on on. Uh, you know, when you just just touch, just when you're at when you're at a dinner party, you know. Do you yeah. want everyone on the same wavelength or do you want someone who believes in all of this? You know, you want people of <laughs> of different, uh, you know, you want you want chit-chat. You don't want to be talking about Bed Bath & Beyond for, you know, a couple of hours. <laughs> You're the only one that keeps bringing it up. <laughs> the three of us here. You're the we one, to, mate. Let's, we have to delve into this. <laughs> and Kieran has been left leaving the show very soon, but we're going to start the Nibiru part two of the film. Hopefully, we're up to the right place. I'm going to add it to the uh, to the stream now. Of course, if you're listening to this, just the audio version. We uh, do have this. We do watch these live on, on YouTube, YouTube. Usually, on, usually on a Sunday night. So please join us when you can. We try to post about it, but we're about to start. We've got the Nibiru part two. Here we go. We've got this uh, video up right now. Let's get it going. Let me briefly mention that in Sitchin's interpretations, Marduk, especially when referring to it as a planet, is commonly known by the name Nibiru, which has become a rather popular name in recent years for a supposed missing planet, which is said to exist in the far reaches of our solar system. However, the word Nibiru in the ancient tablets is written about in a number of ways. It's a word used to sometimes describe a planet, usually Jupiter and one time Mercury. It's used to describe a god, specifically Marduk, which could be a planet. It's also used to describe a star in the sky, specifically Marduk's star. In Babylonian astronomy, Nibiru also seems to refer to the equinox. And the This Nibiru word just has in any, you attach any meaning that you need it to in your story. And suddenly it's it's canon. And yeah. and Nibiru could also mean podcast. Welcome to the uh, We Only Do One Take uh, Nibiru. Nibiru. Mm. <laughs> We're here to to really review conspiracy. Equinox theory. is another word. What is an equinox? Well, in this case here, they're, discu- they're discussing how the earth rotates but also moves around the sun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just thought Equinox was a gym. 
<laughs> no, you're it's a style I, of towel from Bed Bath and Beyond. <laughs> Every time they say Equinox, I keep thinking of the Esquilax in The Simpsons, the <laughs> the horse at the head of the rabbit and a body of the rabbit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, let's just see where this Equinox is taking us. This Esquilax is taking us. Astronomical objects associated with it. Finally, Nibiru is referred to as a location, a place in which the gods, who are called the Anunnaki, come from. It's for this reason that scholars of cuneiform astronomy have not been able to determine with certainty what Nibiru is. But it's because of Sitchin's work that Nibiru is often regarded as a name for this additional planet that's in our outer solar system, of which Marduk is seemingly a more appropriate name. Then again, there are interpretations out there that account for both Marduk and Nibiru as their own individual characters or things. But interpretations get very complex when we go there. So for now, let's return to our story. As we've discussed... So they named the planet Nibiru, but it should be called that Marduk character who became the god of all gods by killing the dragon who created the earth. But it could also refer to Saturn which is only the, what, the fifth planet out, you know? And the other one is going to be Mercury, which is technically the f- the first planet to the sun. So these are, this is like, let's encompass everything. Very broad. At the same time. Yeah, it could, to, what I, what I, what it could I, be what any I, planet. <laughs> oh, what I'm thinking is that it's within the margin of error. <laughs> it's got to be one of them. It, that's a hundred percent from the first planet to the clock. <laughs> the margin of error is one hundred, <laughs> or it could be a star. It could not even be a planet. <laughs> it could be. It could be something so far away. That's a. That's at least a thousand percent different. Difference. Some people have a large margin of error, Titch. Oh uh, well, you know. At least you're not. <laughs> I'm going to put it out there. Kira's margin of error is not as big as the Nibiru planet margin of error. That's a first. That's a first. Marduk was said to be born of Ea and his wife Damkina, who is sometimes referred to as a great queen or goddess of nature. This is another confusing part of the Babylonian epic because nowhere in the Enuma Elish does it describe where she comes from. She's just kind of there but you do get more of an origin story when referencing other tablets from ancient Mesopotamia. If we're looking at the story from the planetary perspective, it's very possible that she could be representing the vacuum of space and that Marduk was pulled through the womb of space by the gravity of our solar system and entered into our system passing by Neptune, essentially becoming Ea's son. Sitchin proposed that based on what was written about Marduk, that it was a large planet approximately the size of Neptune that entered into our solar system in the opposite direction compared to the other planets. He said that it had a long elliptical orbit going way out into the far reaches of our solar system and returned back in a time frame of approximately 3,600 years. When this planet passed through, it was always a great event in the solar system as it affected the gravity of the other planets causing earthquakes and tidal waves then it would go way out, past the distant planets, and disappear from sight. Some theories suggest that this planet could have come to our solar system in the first place when it's... 
So, so this planet, this this mm. planet that they're discussing, has a massive orbit. But I thought orbit almost implied that it was going around a certain thing, right? But the mm. orbit seemed to be like really close to the sun, and then like almost like an oval shape. But the only right at the tip is the sun, and then it does this massive oval that spans out a hundred. Ages and it takes what twenty six thousand years or something like that. To the, come the, there's probably some kind of flying spaghetti monster which is at the center of this <laughs> this planet's uh, orbit. So there must be even a bigger star, because mm. the way the, the the orbit works is some sort of gravitational pull, like connected, right? I, I, I'm not a science man by any means, but I do believe there is some sort of relationship between the sun and the other planets that cause it to sort of rotate in that direction. And, you know, cause all the planets rotate in the same direction. It's just at various speeds around the sun. Is it, is it interesting that all our planets that orbit around our sun mm. or all the, oh yeah, all the planets, yeah. All yeah. orbit in the same direction. Uh, does that does, you, does that indicate that there's some kind of larger gravitational force making them do I, that? That makes sense, unless you're on the flat Earth, and that means like if you go on the other side, that's where they have the yeah. toilets spin in the opposite direction. Uh, right, yeah, 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 like Australia and, and America, we the toilets spin in the opposite direction. <laughs> Very similar methodology, but you have to look at it from a different different point of view. I would say. Now, is this is this planet that's uh, that's spinning around or going in the opposite direction? Is this also a Marduk or a Madoc or a, a Mudok or whatever it's called? <laughs> yeah, so we're talking about Marduk. This is the thing that would yeah. Aren't the Marduks like the characters in Abe's Odyssey, the game Abe's Odyssey Odd World? Oh. I have no is that idea. What I know it. I'm a middle band, but yeah. Um, I mean, of course it is, but it still technically is orbiting the sun, right? Yeah, but I thought that the whole point is that orbit, like the sun, has to be in the middle. Like none of the other planets crisscross mm. over each other in their orbits, and the sun is roughly always in the middle of orbit. Is this kind of like how a comet would sort of work? It, it would only like come across. And like every, you know, one Halley's Comet would only come through every 75 years or something. Yeah. Okay. So now I would almost imply uh, like it's almost a like a comet that's coming past. If he's set, well, I mean, he can't really do something and then see it again however many thousands of years later they said it happens. He's just gone, I'm, I'm going to get something that can only be seen every 36,000 years and nobody gets out. There's no way of proving it. Well, maybe we'll find out. That's all I can think I of. hope so. I hope <laughs> so. Own local star exploded and it careened off into space on its own. Nevertheless, Sijin believed that Marduk must have been a very young planet for the tablet said that he was belching fire which could have been a sign of tremendous volcanic activity and radiation. The drama of this great celestial battle begins when Marduk first entered into our solar system. And as it passed by Uranus, something intense- So, so he had, it, there was a different star, it blew up, and instead of becoming a black hole and sucking everything in, killing a lot of stuff, 
<laughs> it was like dynamite and pushed everything out. It pushed out. it out. <laughs> that makes and sense. It. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then I, it was I, basically think... just moving around and looking for some other planets to join. And I think Futurama can help us out here because they probably, you know, some other planet probably sent up some space rubbish, yeah. you know, and, and knocked it out of a, out of a, uh, alignment. <laughs> Okay, so Futurama is more canon than this story. Got it. That's what I'm <laughs> yeah, <at>. definitely. <laughs> Actually, put it out there. Futurama is easily one of the, like, most, despite the fact that science is crazy, it's still the yeah. most consistent kind of crazy when it comes to science. <laughs> science fiction, fiction story, you know. Uh, so let's say it's moved out of orbit into potentially outs. This happens. The tablet's right. Anu formed and gave birth to the four winds. He delivered them to Marduk. My son, let them whirl. These lines were interpreted as depicting several large chunks of planet matter beginning to tear away from Uranus's body and pulled towards the passing Marduk, which resulted in the formation of four satellites. These were the four winds, which were thrust into a fast orbit around the planet, swirling as a whirlwind. This would have been the theorized event causing numerous anomalies with Uranus, including its sideways tilt and warped magnetic field. Continuing to move into our solar system, the planet was soon... (laughs) And Traj. And everyone online. (laughs) So this this has happened quite a number of thousands of years ago, where they're they're writing it in the tablets. And I'm assuming they must have had some kind of uh, telescope to be able to observe observe all of this. No, because it was the gods that told the Sumerians to write this down. Oh, that was the gods. Okay. Yeah. Or remember, it could be someone channeling a god that wrote this down. Because we've discussed that in other stories before. So a guy decided, yes, I can actually listen to gods. Mm Mm-hmm. And just it's like Bashar, like he's a he's a channeler, and apparently mm-hmm. he channels aliens. Like if you want to check out an insane YouTube channel, check out Bashar's YouTube channel. He he channels, he live streams him channeling aliens. <laughs> got it. Oh my god, is I want to watch that. Is this is this like the guy on Louis Theroux that does it in the room? Have you seen that? Yeah, kind of like that, except he's <laughs> making. He makes money off it like crazy, and he's got like a massive oh, YouTube channel. It's insane! It's insane! It's great fun. You should we'll definitely check him out when you when you got some time. So it seems like the planet came past Neptune and threw it off its axis, and now it's like, that's why it's sideways and took some of the bits of land off it, and that's why Nibiru has moons or satellites now. So what? What's to say? Has it actually discovered? I think it was Uranus. Has anyone actually discovered that Uranus was once like had rings like Saturn? Because they're arguing that it, that it once they're arguing that it was like it's on its side now, but was it ever upright? Or this is exactly know. how it's always been. Well, it would have had to have changed at some point if Nibiru went past. And I guess if it only comes oh, yeah. past every thirty-six thousand Earth years. Yeah, then so shouldn't it then go upright? <laughs> well, it it's, it's, again. Two, it's a twofold effect because if they're talking about Nibiru flying past, it has to be within that timeline, but it also has to be in the timeline when 
Neptune is going past as well. Mm. It's a double. Like they both have to align in a way that it, when it flies past, it's also Neptune going past. Otherwise, it can go past and Neptune might not even be there. True. So it's a double. It's a it's a double. You gotta you gotta have both. And I'm guessing is it if a they're double double on, double. It's a double double. Yeah. And if it's gonna go to Earth after this, then it has to be the very rare occasion every thirty six thousand years or whatever it was that Neptune's in alignment as well as Earth of this planet's path. Well, yeah, po- possibly. Last year there was an alignment with all the planets. Um, so, I mean, it, it could happen. I'm, I'm waiting to see what happens when it goes past Earth. I reckon my bet is that it killed the dinosaurs. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, I think yeah. I th- I'm going to guess because in our last uh, video that we watched, we learned about how there was Jews on Mars from the, the same channel. There were Jews on Mars and they came to Earth. And I'm going to say that that's how the Jews got from Mars to Earth. <laughs> They hopped on. They hopped on and they just went for a ride. So all three planets were in alignment there. Okay. So the, so, the, <laughs> so, so the space Jews hop on this planet thing that then orbits past Earth, which they then hop off, which kills the dinosaurs. Okay. I'm in. Yeah. Uh, yes. And for the, yes. uh, the reverse vampires and the zombies. <laughs> yeah. And then somehow, of course, I'm going to say Ice Age as well. Oh, I mean, com- the ice age. compared to everything we've heard so far, I think it actually seems quite possible. <laughs> yeah, <that's good. laughs> All right, let's have a go, boys. Let's go. <laughs> seized by the tremendous gravitational forces of Saturn and Jupiter, and its path was bent inwards towards the center of our solar system and Tiamat. In the story, when Marduk comes to visit Anshar, who is supposedly Saturn, Anshar sends his vizier Gaga off to see Lamu and Lahamu, Mars and Venus. This, Sitchin believed, was that Marduk's gravity pulled one of Saturn's small moons away from it, loosening its orbit, and sent it off into space past Venus and Mars, eventually establishing a rather curious orbit of its own, which today we know as Pluto. It's possible that along its path, Marduk may also have influenced the creation of Chiron, the small planetoid between Saturn and Uranus. As it drew close, like Chiron. It's not, no, it's not real? Ur- no, shush. It's not Uranus. It's Uranus. No, and 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 the small planet between the two is called Gooch. <laughs> okay, Chiron here. I just had to Google it. Is a solar body. It's first one. It's closer. It's a. It's a comet. It's not a planet. Oh. Yeah. So this is like, this is this is what I'm. It's like what they're saying that the, the way it goes in and then out. It's like it's reading like a comet. Mm. But it's not a planet. I agree. It's not a planet. So, All right. So it's really like a speedboat. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's just drifting yes. in through all the planets. It's going yeah. through. Oh, nice. The, the the Nibiru the fish uh, the uh, the speedboats of comet. There's always there's always a river or a canal or a fjord, you know. Sir, <laughs> Marduk's gravity soon began to disturb all of the inner planets, most of all Tiamat, whose water and rocks began to break apart and tear from her body, 
creating 11 satellites that spiraled around the planet as if acting as a shield. These were the 11 dragons and monsters that Tiamat summoned in the story. Sitchin wrote that the tablets described Marduk and Tiamat to have been crowned with halos, giving the appearance of gods. Of particular importance in the Mesopotamian cosmogony was the largest of Tiamat's satellites, Kingu, the firstborn among the gods who formed her assembly. It is significant because as Marduk approached, Kingu was pulled closer to Marduk and away from Tiamat's orbit. Sitchin believed that Kingu being pulled away like this was Tiamat giving Kingu the Tablet of Destinies. In this interpretation, the tablet itself was actually a planetary orbit of its own, of which Kingu... So, uh, I'm going to say, they're calling it Marduk, which is Nibiru, and that spirit woman god is Earth in this sort of case. And, like, like this is just a... If he's implying that all these stories from the Sumerians is just a parable for the what is... It's not really real. It's just a parable of what could have happened. Well, I'm I'm fine with like you know a story like a parable of going how the Earth was created and everything like that. But he's coming up with another planet and he's saying it's <laughs> there, and it's like that's not that's not a parable now. That's saying that okay, no, that is actually not true. Yeah, there's no he's other planet. Layer. He's added yeah. another layer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I'm just very happy that I now understand why Pluto, uh, a couple of years ago, maybe even a decade ago, uh, was from the Academy of Science or something like that, uh, was was voted out as a planet. It was too small or something to be a planet. I now understand why that is the case from this uh, from back. this from this YouTube video. I'm pretty sure that we want it back as a planet. I, I miss having... Otherwise, Nibiru is not the 12th planet. Hmm. <laughs> but there are... there are. Nibiru is the 12th planet. We are still missing two or three. Yeah. Aren't we? Like, we, we, we've got, we've got eight, eight, or, eight or nine now. There's planet X. Earth, Mars, Saturn, Jupiter, Uranus, Neptune. So that's... And then Pluto's nine. Am I someone, someone attended nine, grade five. Nine sounds correct. Not, not. But then we're missing three. Yeah, we're missing a whole Right. Planet. So he's, he's saying, no, but it's only, this is the 12th planet. Man. <laughs> this is getting you. No, we're looking at the looking glass, people. <laughs> this was obviously what? written when Pluto. So hang on, hang on, hang on. Saying there's 10 We've got that, that comet that's a planet, and we've got oh, that I other planet. We've got that other planet that does that reverse orbit. Mm -mm. And then we just need one more. Nibiru, Nibiru does the reverse orbit. Oh. Not the other planet, the other planet that, that joined in with the Cit Citron or whatever it was? Yeah, yeah. Chiron, Chiron. Okay, so we Chiron. so maybe we're up to 10. But we're still missing one if it's the 12th. True. Planet. Yes. All right. Maybe okay, we'll let's, find let's, out. Uh... <laughs> I want to slip thick, damn it. Nevertheless, soon Marduk was set on an unalterable collision course with Tiamat. Tiamat and Marduk, the wisest of the gods, advanced against one another. 
They pressed on to single combat. They approached for battle. This Just is like UFC 261. When it passed this is by, Mortal Kombat. it was not Mar Sorry? This is Mortal Kombat. Yeah, it's or UFC. Apparently, didn't the guy like <laughs> snap his leg or something? Yeah, oh, he, kicked the guy. he kicked the guy and then he uh, broke his ankle. Oh, oh fuck. I miss I've seen anything good. of it. Fucking YouTube, YouTube, YouTube the highlights from, from today's UFC at yep. 261. Um, fucking uh, no fight went beyond two rounds. Wow. Every, Damn, all, I missed, all of the fucking. Fucking, it was a it was a great lineup, a great fucking fight. Dana White's not going to be happy because that just means he's got all these <laughs> shitty fights. So, it, so it finished up by about one thirty. Two, uh, <laughs> it was uh, two seventeen on my watch. Oh, it yeah, <laughs> pronounced dead at two seventeen by Doctor <laughs> Kieran. <laughs> all right, so these two planets are going to start fighting each other. Um, if you think Rodongo says it isn't Maddox, Kieran Maddox isn't going nowhere. Sadly, he's on Twitch, uh, doing doing streams. If, if that's the Maddox you're talking about, Rodongo and Hysteria doesn't sound like a scam at all. I think that was about the Bashar comment. I said, yeah, we should we should watch some Bashar stuff and have a listen to that because I reckon that I I definitely come on for that. <laughs> all right, let's see for these two <laughs> Mortal Kombat fighting planets here. Arduk itself, but one of the swirling winds around it that crashed into Tiamat and severed a phenomenal chunk, splicing her in half. <laughs> All of Tiamat's satellites, with the exception of Kingu, were instantly shattered and their remains continued oh, nice. to spiral around the sun in Tiamat's orbit. Her body became distended. Her mouth had opened wide. He shot there through an arrow. It tore her belly. It cut through her insides tore into her womb having thus subdued her her life breath he extinguished tiamat was left fissured and lifeless but her fate had future encounters between the two planets in store marduk went sailing off into space yet now gravitationally bound to return to the scene of this event it was on the second pass through our solar system that Marduk satellites once again crashed into Tiamat's remains, cleaving her in two. So the Death Star. <laughs> so not only did thirty-six thousand years happen in between these two events, but both times Earth was in the line of fire of Nibiru coming past, and Nibiru had no sustained no injuries but was able to literally destroy all of a planet yeah that's that, that is <laughs> well, church, that church. is amazing if, if Nibiru did what it all in all? one if Nibiru did it all in one guy I would have called bullshit I would have called <laughs> bullshit but, but because it happened it happened second in two, one. two yeah. second one very believable what I want to know what I want to know church and this is the real question the gods are just watching this, watching yeah, this, this happen. This is the so they, they can of, remember that parable, like the god, like one god wanted to rule the world, so he created twelve monsters. Mm -hmm. But the second one said no, and they sent another champion to beat them all. Yeah, and then this and then they then, then that guy that guy created twelve rings to rule them all. 
Yeah, yeah, but this is the one yeah. that created like the snake monster and the garbage monster and snake number two. Oh. And then <laughs> and then created the dragon, which is yeah. cuts it in half to create the earth. It was gonna, it was gonna I, I reckon it will kill the dinosaurs, but um, oh, I, so this, I think so. This, this Sitchin, he's the one that said space Jews, right? Yeah. Wow, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. Let's keep it going. This heavy blow sent one massive chunk destined to become the Earth into an orbit where no planet had been orbiting before. The fragments of Tiamat that were shattered formed what we now call the Asteroid Belt, which the Sumerian tablets called the Hammered Bracelet. With the passage of time and a lot of extreme tectonic activity, the remains of Tiamat eventually <laughs> returned to a spherical shape. This time, with uh, more land. Uh, <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> so we we are remains we are remains of a planet that lost a fight to another planet twice. We're all, we're all losers. And he came back to finish the damage. <laughs> and the ha- the other half of us is asteroids who hit us every so often. So we literally yeah, can- hit ourselves. <laughs> can we catch a break? <laughs> oh, but now we're protected by the Anunnaki, that guy that mar- that, that saved the Earth, remember? Oh, it's about time. <laughs> but he was Nibiru. <laughs> I don't oh. know. Yeah, let's continue it so on. So he's the guy that destroyed us. Yeah, but he's also- the guy that destroyed half our planet mm-hmm. that regenerated into Earth, and now he's come back here. No, hang on, I'm a good guy now. I'll defend you. <laughs> Hysteria. That's great. Nibiru got a, got its shape back over time, like carpet when you move the couch across the room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, Rodongo says it is said that Volvo used the remains of Nibiru to build their old cars. Ah, <laughs> oh. what's what's Fiat like? You know, uh, oh, what's Ford like? Um, forever, org- forever, like repairing damage or something like that. I was told found a rubbish dump. <laughs> Do you know what BMW stands for? You know, uh, is a black man's <laughs> Willie? You gonna do that yeah. one? <laughs> you know my favorite story about. Uh, I'll, I'll bring this one up only because Bob Marley, only, as soon as he got famous, only drove BMWs because he thought BMW yeah. stand for uh, Bob Marley and the Whalers. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see. Some what genius here. car salesman has told him that. <laughs> yeah. uh, my, okay, so now, so this earth that was half has somehow closed itself up. And become the Earth. This just proves that it's not flat, right? I hope so. But hey, we don't know how hard the planets hit. Maybe it hit it so much that it became flat, like a okay. Nah, a nah, that's that's <laughs> yeah. that's too obvious. I'm I suspect some kind of giant hammer came and then <laughs> squashed it flat. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. liking your ideas. I know. Maybe we're yet to that see that had before. Kingu, which hovered in the region of Tiamat since their first encounter with Marduk, followed Tiamat to her new location between Mars and Venus and became the moon. Marduk once again shot out into space and continued to orbit around the sun from a long distance away. This, according to Sitchin's interpretations of the tablets, is how the Earth got to be where it is today. 
So without Nibiru, Earth would be some in some Earth wouldn't exist, or it would exist in a different form, and we wouldn't have the asteroid belt or a moon. Yes. Yeah. There are crazier stories. There are. There are. I'll give you that, but I don't think you could. Is that the end? It, no, we've still got. Oh, good. <laughs> we have another forty minutes. Oh, good. Because I was about to say. I was about to say, like, and what? Like, uh, uh, let's keep it going. Let's keep it going. What we've covered was closer to the original interpretation from Sitchin's first book, The Twelfth Planet, and both Sitchin and a wide array of other authors have discussed and played with variations of the story. For example, there is a version where the smashed Tiamat had to be repaired and realigned by the beings called the Anunnaki and reseed the planet <laughs> with life afterwards. Ultimately, today what we've covered is the basic story and encourage everyone to explore this as you see fit. Now, the Do reason that or Nibiru was called the 12th planet was because to Sitchin's understanding of the ancient Sumerians, they observed the moon and the sun as planets when counting them all, which, in addition to Pluto, gives us 11, and Marduk then is the 12th. Hang Further, on. <laughs> is the Hang on. Go, 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 go back. Go, go back. <laughs> What, how did I come up with 11? Trage, do your own research. Yeah, I know, right? I was going ...realigned by the beings called the Anunnaki. And the, uh, that's, the Anunnaki are fixing Earth at the moment, but they're in a spaceship. Of course they are, with their spaceship. <laughs> Let's have a look how they made the 12 planets. I need to hear it again, too. ...reseed the planet with life afterwards. Ultimately, did... Today, what we've covered is the basic story and encourage everyone to explore this as you see fit. Now, the reason that Marduk or Nibiru was called the 12th planet was because to Sitchin's understanding of the ancient Sumerians, they observed the moon and the sun as planets when counting them all, which in addition- Just pause it there, pause it there. <laughs> the moon is, what? hang on, hang on, okay. So our moon is not a planet and it, Saturn has like, Four moons? Why aren't they planets? Saturn has a lot. I know, like uh, Jupiter has like twenty, does it? Like Europa yeah. is one of them. Like that's the one that trying to think. They think it's like similar to Earth in a, in a certain way. But in this case here, what about that Cit Citron planet? Yeah, Chiron planet in between uh, Saturn and Jupiter or whatever it was. And what about all the other moons? Because like Venus has a moon, Mars has two moons, I believe, from memory. Why are they also if, if they? If they understand that these planets need to orbit around a star, then they will recognize that the sun is a star and not a planet, and they can't count oh. the planet the, the sun as a planet. All right, all right. I'm just going to go through this. We've got Mercury there, yeah. Venus, yeah, yeah yellow. Uh, Earth, yeah. bluey, very uh, good. Yeah. Uh, moon. moon. Is that the moon? Moon, moon. moon. <laughs> yep. Mars. Yeah. Jupiter, yeah. Saturn. Yeah. Uh, not Uranus, Uranus. Yeah. Uh, uh, ne now Neptune. Yeah. 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 Uh, Pluto. Pluto. Yeah. Well, that's okay. no, and the sun. They include the sun as a planet. Yeah. Which is actually a star. So that's eleven. But two of them are definitely not planets, and Pluto. I'm on the fence about. So that brings it but down when to they nine did, and a half. 
when Sitchin was in school, though, that was like fifty, so what? It, it was a planet. It was a planet, correct. So he interpreted it that way because he could. Okay. I mean, Here come on. Even even in that time, we understood the this oh, fucking hell. Even in that time, we understood the star. The sun was a star, and he's come up and go, no, no, no. But they counted as a planet. Amazing. They used to worship, like, a lot of cultures worshipped the sun because they knew it was a giver of heat and light and a whole bunch of other things. But, like, it made crops grow. That's why they always used to sacrifice mm. to sun, like, sun-type gods across the board. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. And what, what's, what's with the asteroid belt? Well, the asteroid belt was... See, look how thick... The, the, I know this may not be to scale. I'm just going to assume um, that. Tra- Traj, tra- tra- it's, it's, so it's, a, it's a belt the universe has to wear to keep it from its <laughs> pants falling down. <laughs> so it's got one giant testicle then, which is, which is Jupiter. <laughs> I'm, I'm only going to assume the sun is the head. <laughs> There's a big red spot. I like that red spot checked out. <laughs> Hey, uh, my cousin died of red dot. <laughs> uh, let, let's find out some more about this, eh? To Pluto gives us 11, and Marduk then is the 12th. Further, we would be remiss if we didn't share that this is contested by skeptics, who put forth that the Sumerians didn't actually know that. <laughs> contested by skeptics. <laughs> who are they? <laughs> any planets beyond the ones that are visible. This would then imply that the story was not not one about planets, end of story. However, one possible explanation for this is that if the stories historically are true, and that the legend was handed down to the Sumerians and Babylonians by another species beyond our own, then they could have encoded the story of the origin of our solar system inside the myth of Tiamat and Marduk, even if these ancient people didn't fully understand what the story was truly saying. We'll revisit this idea as we continue on, for this is only the beginning of our exploration. You know, if you're going to pass down knowledge across the board to anybody, like you're teaching your little cousin or your, or your niece or, ne- you know, or your niece or nephew or something like that, and you go, hey, I want to teach you something, would you encode it in a way that didn't, it didn't make sense? Or would you just tell them the facts across the board? Would you go, hey, there's this planet. Like, we live on a planet. There's another planet like us. And explain it that way rather than going, well, there was two gods, you see. (laughs) No, no, no. Church, 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 church. You're doing it wrong. You Mm -hmm. say there's this amazing planet and this planet does this amazing things. And there's another planet. But I'll tell you that in a moment. You've got to get your Uncle Kieran another beer. And then I'll con- then you continue the story, right? But you've got to you just tell them the. St- you've got to get you've got to get them to work for it, you know. It'd be like telling the story of Goldilocks and the Three Bears and going, yeah, yes, but they weren't actually the bears are not real. They were actually squirrels, but it's a metaphor for bears. You know what I'm talking <laughs> about? And Goldilocks was more of a like a golden squirrel, but she was it's it's sort of a metaphor for a, a little girl that went into and it wasn't the house they went to, they went to a different planet. You know what I'm talking about? Like it's 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 all interpretation, all up to interpretation. 
Like, no, it's it's still three pairs of girl and, and eating porridge. It's just why encode it in such a way that it actually makes no sense. But it wasn't porridge. It was an, a, a, an akahi or a keishi bowl or whatever they're called. <laughs> uh, uh, let's keep it. <laughs> that was amazing. Uh, At least it wasn't. Bowl. At least it wasn't a quiche. Let's go with that. <laughs> Here we go. With these tablets. After this, we get to hear the story of the creation of humanity on the newly created Earth. But before we go further into that, let's investigate this whole planet Marduk thing further. The topic of Marduk or Nibiru is not a new one and has received attention and thought from around the world over and over since Sitchin's first book came out in the 1970s. There are also plenty of conspiracy theories on the internet that respond to these ideas, and not to mention, it's received a fair share of debunkings as well. Remarkably, Sitchin's version of the story does a fairly decent job at explaining a number of anomalies in our solar system, such as the formation of the asteroid belt and why there's so much water in it, the tilt of Uranus and its warped magnetic field. It also describes how the moon was formed and Pluto's crazy orbit, among other things. Of course, the theory is not without its holes and challenges, and a lot of critics have pointed out inconsistencies and other aspects no, of Sitchin's theories shit. that don't always seem to stand up well to scrutiny. But I mean, look, the skeptics have a point too. In the story written in the Enuma Elish, it describes that at one point, all of the gods gathered together to discuss the situation with Tiamat. They sat at a big table, drinking beer, eating grain, and agreed that Marduk would be their avenger. So that's a. I know it's on the animation, but now they've gone from Pokemon to like. True, it's true. They're all over the place. Steve has gone here. Isn't Marduk the movie with Owen Wilson? A serious guy. I thought they were talking about the cartoon dog. I think you're talking about Marmaduke there, but uh, <laughs> the Tekken character Marduk. Good character. Good character across the board. This is a far, this is far more entertaining than what's going on on the screen here. But my question is. Like he's got all oh, people have gone, oh, it's skeptical because what about the part of the story where they all met up as a table? Yeah, because that means all the planets would have had to, including the sun, would have had to meet together <laughs> at some point and then disperse once again. This this is like a a, a family get together. Uh, two of them are going to get uh, two of them are going to be fighting. The what you know, one of the planets or something is going to have to get the garden hose is going to have to water them. You know, Karen, are you so telling this, the story of this is. Are you telling the story of Cinderella? <laughs> I'm telling the story of bloody family Christmas, which oh, is yes, Cinderella. Of, yes. I thought, sorry, I thought it was a metaphor for Cinderella. <laughs> <laughs> My mistake. <laughs> so this is this is now they talk about um, how humans came to Earth. This might be where they touch on the space Jews. I hope so. Can we can we all aim for the space juice as we did? Because it's just, now they're going to talk about human history again in a second way. So I'm very excited to hear this. Uh, they've got the Avenger fist thing. There's that hammer, Kieran. So that might be the one that they do the flat Earth with. Oh, I, I told you. I told you there was a hammer <laughs> coming back. <laughs> 
Perhaps they're not planets, but actual beings in a cosmic space battle. Or perhaps it's just an embellishment of the Babylonians to make the gods seem more human. That one. Or just maybe the entire story is the result of a bunch of ancient people discovering psychedelic mushrooms in the wild and then describing <laughs> each other what they saw that on their journey that and that one. their religion. Let's go with that one for sure. Ultimately, our goal shouldn't be fighting each other over which theory is correct, but openly investigating all of the possibilities until we arrive together at the truth. With all of this in mind, there's one way we might ju just be able to prove that this story is true, and that would be if we could actually find this missing planet that, according to the story, should be lurking in our outer solar system. Should so they? The only, not. the only way we can prove it is if we find the planet. But there's a lot of fucking planets out there. There's a lot of fucking planets out there. This is like saying the only way we can prove Bigfoot is real is if we find Bigfoot. Like, no, it's but it's no, no, no. It's worse than that. It's it's it's. Uh, well, you need to find a hairy man. There are a lot of hairy men. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, amazing, amazing. Opening up the research on Nibiru. Well, there's literally a mountain of information available. And digging into it, you'll find everything from, of course Nibiru is real, all the way to, uh, did you just use the word Nibiru in a sentence? Are you serious? Now, we feel that an open-hearted exploration is always the best practice. And so we're gonna do our best to cover as much information as we can. Take a deep breath, because it's a lot. And one final thing before we get started, regarding the name between Nibiru and Marduk, from now on, we're just gonna use the name Nibiru for this possible distant planet. And the reason for this is because there's another theory we'll look at that explores a different version of the Marduk and Tiamat battle, of which associates Marduk with the planet Mars. As always, uh -huh. we encourage you to practice critical thinking and discernment with everything we discuss as we open our minds and explore this together. Now, the search for a larger planet beyond Neptune has been going on since the discovery of Neptune in 1846, when observed anomalies in the orbit of Uranus suggested another large planet lay farther out. In 1906, the term Planet X was coined by Percival Lowell, the founder of the Lowell Observatory in Flagstaff, Arizona, when he began his search for this distant planet. In 1930, Clyde Tombaugh discovered Pluto at the Lowell Observatory, but it was not big enough to be what they were looking for. In 1984, scientists thought that our sun could actually have a companion, a theoretical small dwarf star, which they called Nemesis, which could explain and cause the gravitational anomalies they were witnessing. However, to this day, no dwarf star has been found. In 1992, refined calculations showed that the mass of Neptune was 0.5% smaller than assumed, and thus the discrepancies in Uranus's orbit were dismissed as incorrect and the need for a planet X went away. Then in 1999, astronomers observed curious anomalies in the gravity and movement of certain comets in the outer solar system. And they theorized that a Jupiter-sized planet, which they called Tyche, lurked in the far reaches of our solar system. Later in 2003, Sedna was discovered, a small exoplanet whose strange 12,000 year orbit indicated that something massive well beyond Pluto 
was altering Sedna's path. See, see how it's still going around the sun, but not intertwining with, mm. with anything mm. else. It's got a side view and everything. Look at that. <laughs> Jumping to 2014, an all-sky survey from WISE, the Wide Field Infrared Survey Explorer Satellite, ruled out the existence of any planets larger than Saturn orbiting our sun <laughs> at a distance of about 10,000 astronomical units, or AU. This is a ridiculously far distance, considering that one AU is the distance between the Earth and the Sun. This put an end to the theory of Tyche. However, since Saturn is larger than Neptune, and Nibiru is said to be about the size of Neptune, the WISE satellite would not have registered a planet smaller than Saturn if it had scanned one. In January of 2016, two well-respected planetary scientists Constantine Batigan and Mike Brown of the California Institute of Technology discovered what they believed to be a large, roughly Neptune-sized planet in the outer reaches of our solar system. This planet is well beyond Pluto, and many are now calling it Planet X or Planet 9. This planet has not yet been seen, but advanced technology shows that without a doubt, something is out there. The planetary body is fully detectable through observation of six other previously discovered objects that orbit beyond Neptune, all of which appear to cluster around a singular, larger body, with only a 0.0007% chance that this clustering is just a coincidence. So I'm just, I just quickly googled um, Planet 9. Planet 9 is a hypothetical planet in the outer regions of the solar system. Its gravitational effects could, could explain the unusual clusterings of orbits for a group of extreme trans-Neptunian objects. Uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, and it, it aimed to be about 220, uh, 250 times the size of that of Earth. So, as I said, it's a hypothetical planet and still is a hypothetical planet. So they didn't discover anything. They just hypothesized this planet across the board. Mm, but Church, I'm going to counter-argue that. Sure. Hypothetically, you're going to fart later. <laughs> Hypothetically. Yeah. <laughs> Let me know when you do, because then I'm a genius. I called it. <laughs> you know what, Kieran? I think... The, the, back in the day, there used uh -huh. to be a guy what day? Who, who, in the like the eighteen hundreds or so. This guy estimated how many people could actually live on Earth, and uh -huh. he estimated that it was going to be uh, like a billion people or half a billion people is a max amount of thing you could do on Earth. And obviously, we've surpassed that. But the same guy estimated that by the nineteen fifties, New York City. It would be so, and uh, New York City and London would be so full of horse feces that it would overwhelm the earth. Like those cities would be shut down because there'd be so much horse feces. Because back in the 1800s, that was the biggest mode of travel. Uh. Little did he know that the car would come along and remove horse feces as a problem completely. But he never took any of these things into, an, into account. I feel like this is the same thing for this hypothesis here. Where they've gone, well, if if we come up with a hypothesis that's it's kind of ridiculous, but it sort of explains all the anomalies that we have. 
the odds of it actually being true are so low and so incorrect across the board that it's not even worth having this hypothesis. Yes, but at least it's better than one. the at least it's better than it's the god argument. You know, it, I feel it's almost the same. <laughs> I feel like it's almost the same. It's the equivalent. I don't. Let's continue on. Let's find out what these researchers have done. Taxpayers' money. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> what astronomers currently believe is that this planet-sized object has a rather interesting elliptical orbit, ranging anywhere from between 600 and 1200 AU to as close as 200 AU. With the exception that researchers don't currently calculate this planet traveling anywhere near Jupiter or the asteroid belt, the rest of the evidence appears to match what we've heard about Nibiru's path and influence. To that end, however, we theorize that if this planet is actually Nibiru, and it's been orbiting our solar system for millions or billions of years, then it's possible that its orbit has rounded out over time, becoming less sharp, and stabilizing into a more centered and wide-curved orbit farther and farther out. Regardless of whether this planet is Nibiru or not, these two amazing planetary scientists, Mike and Constantine, have acknowledged that no one will believe in this planet until it actually appears in the telescopic viewfinder. Yes. And they are working hard to make viewing this planet a reality. At this moment, however, current telescopic technology, such as the Hubble Space Telescope or the 10-meter Keck telescopes in Hawaii, have extremely tiny fields of view. Looking for this planet X manually would be like looking for a needle in a field of haystacks by peering through a drinking straw. Curiously, though, when we compare the story of the great celestial battle to what currently exists uh, in our solar system, we find a Mm -hmm. number of anomalies that may point to Nibiru's existence. While we've touched on these briefly before, let's go over them more thoroughly now. The first anomaly, the asteroid belt. Towards the end of the 18th century, even before Neptune had been discovered, Several astronomers demonstrated that the planets were placed at certain distances from the sun according to some definite law. The suggestion, which came to be known as Bode's Law, convinced astronomers that a planet ought to be revolving in a place where hitherto no planet had been known to exist. That is, between the orbits of Mars and Jupiter. In the position where Tiamat was said to have been in our solar system, today we find a large belt of floating rocks that we call the asteroid belt. Upon closer inspection, the asteroid belt is a mashup of a variety of rocky minerals and water. There's actually a ton of frozen water in this belt, including a small dwarf planet named Ceres, which is at least in part a giant ball of frozen water. In fact, there's so much water on Ceres that astronomers believe it has even more water than the Earth does. Is it possible that the asteroid belt itself is the remnants of an ancient planetary cataclysm? Mm, good point. However, taking account of the mass of the asteroid belt itself, it doesn't seem like there's quite enough matter in it to fill three quarters of a Neptune-sized planet. The amount of mass in the belt is only about 4% of the mass of the moon, and so that leaves a lot of matter missing. There are two main things we can think of that could account for this. First, that a rather large majority of planet matter from Tiamat was blasted off into space, free of any planetary orbit, and only a small amount of the remnants of Tiamat actually survived to form the asteroid belt. 
Second, and perhaps even more likely, is that if Nibiru kept coming back through the solar system for a long time, every time it passed through the asteroid belt, it would probably throw a ton of asteroids out as it passed through, leaving much less there than there originally was. The second anomaly, the moon. Hmm. So there seems to be a few things Hillbilly said Thea was found, which is, uh, I'm having a look now, is a planet. Um, and Thea, I'm sad to say, is a hypothesized ancient planet in the early solar system that according to giant impact hypothesis, hypotheses collided with Earth around 4.5 billion years ago uh, with some of the resulting uh, debris gathering to form the moon. So, But this is still hypothesized. Uh, over there, and then uh, Syria has gone. Pretty sure actual scientists think the asteroid belt was remnants of a comet that collided with Mars. I'm not quite sure. Maybe they'll be able to tell us because they did say they were going to tell us different parts of the story. But it doesn't look like they're going to go any further with the with the asteroid belt. It looks like we're up to the moon um, out of this five part thing of anomalies. You want to add anything else, fellas? Or um, um yeah no <laughs> the moon is a huge piece in this puzzle the most popular theory about the origins of the moon today is that it was created in some sort of massive collision this leading theory is called the giant impact hypothesis oh, just talking which suggests about it. that the moon was formed <laughs> out of the debris left over from a collision between earth and an astronomical body the size of mars approximately 4.5 billion years ago. This theory goes on to state that the moon is likely made up of matter from both the earth and the body that crashed into it, causing a thorough mixing of material from both parent bodies. This theory is favored by scientists regarding the creation of the moon because of a body of evidence, including that the earth's spin and moon's orbit have similar orientations and that moon samples indicate the surface was once molten further, and coinciding with the first anomaly, there is the discovery of water on the moon. But not just on it, in it also. Lunar astronauts from the 1970s had collected these tiny glass beads left over from ancient volcanic eruptions. And recent investigations into these beads found that little bits of water were actually hiding inside them. Researching this further has given rise to the idea that these volcanoes volcanic deposits are indeed widespread and that the material inside the moon is significantly wetter than previously thought. Together, both the cataclysm and the water on the moon supports the theory that the moon began as a fragment of Tiamat. Perhaps one day we'll know for sure. So there we go. We're up to the third anomaly. Pretty sure scientists think the asteroid belt uh, remains common to collide with Mars. Thea remnants were found inside of the Earth. I haven't heard that one, uh, but hysteria seems to think that's, that's right. So maybe the, the Thea one that we're just having a bit of a laugh at may be, may be true. Maybe true. But still hypothesis rather than fact. I don't know if it, how they would prove that, but um, it sounds a bit, a bit off to me. Uh, uh, the, the the moon rings like a bell when struck. Scientists say it's because the moon has 
no water. I don't know really what that means, hillbilly. Um, I don't know how you could ring, like, hit a planet enough to make it... Like, how do you hit a, a planet enough to make it ring like a like a bell? Like, how big does the impact have to well, be? You know that, that hammer that we saw before? <laughs> you know that hammer? It doesn't have sound waves if it's hit by a um uh, asteroid or something. Potentially, I'm not quite sure. I don't. I I've, I've heard. Yeah, uh, I, I've heard it before in another way, but I don't understand how we could hit something like a planet and let it, let it ring. Like usually, a bell is a bell like we, a bell shape. The shape itself is what causes that sound. Yeah, but Church, maybe maybe it's not a bell. Maybe it's means something else. Right. You know, like the uh, Goldilocks <laughs> example before. <laughs> it's a metaphor. It's always a it's metaphor. A, it's, it's a I metaphor. only speak in metaphors and parables. That's all I ever speak in. Here we go. The third anomaly. Pluto. Scientists today have no solid explanation for why Pluto's orbit is so irregular. Where most of the planets travel along the same plane in a near circular ellipse, Pluto's orbit is significantly wider. On top of that, Pluto doesn't travel on the same plane as the other planets, but moves at an angle dipping significantly above and below the celestial plane. There are theories that suggest Pluto was one a moon of our other planets, or a part of the Kuiper Belt, but nothing has ever been definitively proven on the subject. That said, this interpretation of the Sumerian tablets suggests that it was once a moon of Saturn, and that a rogue planet caused it to careen out into a distant orbit. Perhaps this idea actually has some merit, considering it mirrors what modern theorists put forth today. I can tell you, Turch. I can the tell you why. Yeah, I can tell you why Pluto has an irregular orbit. Yeah, because it, as Trump would say, it wants to be a bad hombre. <laughs> uh, oh, geez, people are really getting heated up about this stuff, which is great. Uh, they said so. Hillbilly said they set seismic machinery on the moon. They rammed two Apollo vehicles into the moon to test it. I, I, like what they? So they rammed a car into the moon and it rang like a bell. I've, like I've never a, heard that. Did they ram it as in, are they the buggies that people were driving and they rammed I, it into like a, a hill or did they drop them into the surface? I'm not I'm not quite sure, to be perfectly honest. Maybe Hillbilly can expand on that. And thank you, Rodongo Hysteria. Yes, absolutely. Make sure you subscribe and hit that bell icon and all that sort of fun stuff. I feel like a feel really lame always saying that. But uh, it's way more fun having lots of you guys talk to us uh, while we uh, while we look at these conspiracy theories rather than just Kieran and I and then our special guest just yelling at each other. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, we can yell at each other. That's fine. Yeah, it's so true. And that's right. Scientists and uh, prof professors at university hysteria just fuck around with our money all the time. Here, here. What a waste of taxpayers' dollars. <laughs> Church, what else are we going to do with these scientists though? They can't get any other type of job. It's true. They can't even make a vaccine that works, right? <laughs> uh, here we go. Fourth anomaly, people. Fourth anomaly. Uranus. 
The recent surge of articles online <laughs> inspired global curiosity by announcing research and simulations indicating that Uranus was most likely smashed in a giant collision in the development of our early solar system. You see, Uranus is especially strange compared to all of the other planets. While all of the planets are tilted in some way or another, Uranus appears to be on its side Except with a Mercury. whopping 98 degree tilt. The what was that, sorry? Except Mercury. Yeah. Uh. I have to say the uh, 98 degree tilt that I showed looked more like it was 180. <laughs> Uranus is smashed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, unmanned Apollo crafts. I'll keep looking at that while we keep watching these videos. Researchers responsible for this recent investigation said, our findings confirm that the most likely outcome was that the young Uranus was involved in a cataclysmic collision with an object twice the mass of Earth, if not larger, knocking it to its side and setting in process the events that helped create the planet we see today. In addition to its tilt, the collision is said to be responsible for Uranus's unique rotation rate, atmosphere, internal structure, and warped magnetic field. If we look at their simulation, it shows what the collision actually could have looked like. Now, of course, this isn't directly what has been interpreted from the stories, which suggested that Nibiru's gravity pulled matter away from Uranus. That is, unless Nibiru actually crashed through Uranus on its way through the solar system. I would also love to know if it's possible for a strong gravitational force acting upon Uranus to have a similar resulting effect on the blue planet. Of course, at this point, we really only have theories and simulations. But one thing is for certain, Uranus is a distinct planet with a whole lot of mystery around it. All right, so Uranus is just a mysterious planet. We're not quite sure how it works yet. Is that what you guys got out of that as well? Or did I yeah, miss just, something just, while I was trying to research? Just like Uranus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> undiscovered and uh <laughs> <laughs> unknown it's the unknown down there. i look I, I i've just been trying to look up some stuff about uh the bell sounds of like you know i've typed in a whole of bunch the moon? of stuff of the moon the only thing i can find is uh on on wikipedia so if any, if you want to send us a link please do i'll, I'll open it up for sure but uh, about it's about the hollow moon theory which is a hypothesis that proposes the Earth moon is either wholly hollow or otherwise contains a substantial interior space. So there's been no scientific evidence that exists that supports this idea. Se uh, seismic observations, other data collected since spacecraft began to land or, or on the moon, dictate that it has a thin crust and a massive mantle and small, dense core, overall far less dense than Earth. So with that being the case, then I, it doesn't look like. Um, it can be true. Hollow Earth, similar to the um, Hollow Earth hypothesis, which started in 1901 with uh, the first man on the moon by H.G. Wells. So there you go. Um, it's often often mentioned of one of David Icke's beliefs. And if we don't know who David Icke is, maybe we should watch a video on David Icke because he is uh, he he's the type of guy that believes Kieran's nodding his head. He even believes that 5G is causing uh, coronavirus and he's a he's an amazing ex-sports star that turned into a a crazy player. conspiracy yeah soccer crazy conspiracy theorist so 
All right, let's find out the fifth one. I'd like to conclude this exploration of our anomalies simply by saying that while we've just covered these today, there is certainly an abundance of information out there that would lend itself to this conversation. And I would love to extend this investigation to everyone watching. Together, there's no mystery we can't solve. <laughs> and in the spirit of scrutiny, it's time we took a hard look at the person responsible for these stories, Zechariah Sitchin himself. Perfect. I've heard of her Hollow Earth, but Hollow Moon. I remember there was a movie based on the Hollow Moon and the Nazis built a base in the Hollow Moon. That was a real, th or the Dark Side of the Moon or something like that. And if you do do a David Icke video, make sure you mix in the Filthy Frank song somewhere. That is a great song. I do love Filthy Frank. <laughs> Too bad he can't uh, ever return to YouTube, especially in the state that it's in. Uh, but Zachariah Sitchin, he's back here and he's your favorite. He's your favorite uh, truth writer. Uh, good, good, that he's, good that he's back. He's back. He's back in it. It's funny. They literally have read one book. Or just like you know, it's, it's it's this. This feels like the same to me that maybe in uh, fifty years, church, church, who read it's church. It's like Christianity; they only read one book. Yeah, no, but you only like, need you book. only need one book. This is the same as I feel like. I think I invited you. To if the we're gonna do a religion, we only need one yeah. book. We don't need That's multiple <laughs> books. You just need one book. We only write one draft. <laughs> <laughs> but this i feel like these, these these spirit science people are the same type of people who the equivalent of them is the people who only read harry potter and they're like you know harry potter yeah it's like a series of novels seven books zachary sitchin has a series of novels they only read those and they take it for like the zachary sitchin is for like you know yep it's definitely all true and I feel like in 50 years or something like that, maybe the Harry Potter thing, if it continues on the way that it does, is going to be the same type of thing. It's like people are going to push that belief onto, onto other people and still push it as the greatest books ever when realistically it's just a, you know, adult, uh, like, you know, teenage fiction book aimed at, like, teenagers. And this is, like, the same for the Zachary Sitchin. This is just stories aimed at maybe adults but it's just sort of like a story that he's basing it on some loose understanding of other religions church i'm just going to simplify what you said mm -hmm. zacharias whatever his name is equals mm -hmm. harry potter yes i think it's a good comparison but uh, i don't <laughs> think you agree <laughs> you haven't read harry potter have you kieran no 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 I, I have read Harry Potter. I just I'll haven't read you. the last Harry Potter. Uh, I read all of the Harry much. Potters, except for the last one, because I sort of grew out of it. Yeah. Feels like you should grow out of the Zachariah Sitchin type stuff as well, but then again, there's a whole show called Ancient Aliens, which is comedy oh. gold as well. And they I feel like you should never get into Zachariah Sitchin. But the, the, you know, I've watched a lot of Ancient Aliens because it's like this. It's absolutely insane. And they do base a lot of their stuff on Eric Don von Danigan or Zachariah Sitchin. They sort of cross over quite a bit. But it seems like these guys are really big into the Sitchin and Eric von Danigan is big for the Ancient Alien guys. 
Should we keep going? Yeah. You yeah. need to follow your, your leader. Perhaps one of the most important topics when opening the box on Nibiru is the question of the translation of the tablets and the accuracy of Zechariah Sitchin's interpretations. To some, Sitchin was a brilliant scholar with revolutionary ideas about the ancient Sumerian and Babylonian gods. To others, he was a pseudoscientist and pseudo-historian with delusional thinking. Sometimes people even claim he was a Freemason or sent by the Illuminati specifically to mess with us. Regardless, it's clear that his ideas have changed the way that many people view human life, human nature, and our role in the cosmos. When Sitchin first began his work, there were very few people in the world who actually read or understood Sumerian cuneiform. And this still remains true today. To say it's not a common dialect today is a, a massive understatement. In 2006, a book titled Sumerian Lexicon was published, which helped provide guidance for those seeking to decipher the Sumerian texts. Since then, a number of academics have spotted inaccuracies in Sitchin's translations. Some of these inaccuracies are per perhaps interpretive as well, as Sitchin tends towards literalism, both in how he perceives images and words. Certain scholars also contend through literal interpretation that Sitchin ignores known historical and mythological contexts in favor of his own views. For example, Sitchin is very famous for pointing to a seal called Cylinder Seal VA243, which depicts an image of a circle surrounded by 11 smaller circles. This, according to Sitchin, is an image of our solar system as the story is told in the tablets. Critics, however, point out that the image of the sun in the center is not the sun, because when compared to hundreds of other tablets that depict the sun, the image is different, usually depicting a star with either or six that or could eight be Nibiru. Points, although in this first <laughs> So he doesn't even know his own law. Mm. He's just he's just making it up. And it, this is the same as the ancient alien guys. They point to things and just go, oh no, it's not what you think it is. It's actually like it's not a guy with a beard. It's actually him in a hazmat suit. Like that was something I watched recently. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy's just like, oh yeah, it's not. It's not actually a guy in a beard, and, and like his beard's connecting to his hat, and there's like a circle. He's actually got a hazmat suit on. And even there was one thing. My favorite. My favorite line. There's two favorite lines of ancient aliens. One is related to that. Um, that carving or a stone carving or whatever it was. And that guy with the hazmat suit and at the front, they're like, the man is said to have a penis sheath at the front of him. I know that's definitely not a penis sheath. And he actually, the guy, the ancient alien guy says that, you know, earnestly, which I think is hilarious. And the other one they were talking about how Judas has, uh, <laughs> um, uh, what's the game? Uh, King Solomon has a uh, flew around on a flying carpet, like that's in in the books or something, a green flying carpet. And the guy goes, "Do flying carpets exist? Of course not." And I'm like, "You're the guy that's saying that aliens came down to train humans to mine gold for them, but you don't believe in a magic carpet." <laughs> it's like. It's like it's like someone having the argument in like Star Wars going, oh, you know, explosions can't exist in space. And then that's the most ridiculous thing in yeah. this movie. 
you know, yeah, yeah, that's right. Or, you know, there's no sound in space either, but like, you know, the Death Star makes a big explosion when it blows up, you know. But or having you have a- like... <laughs> you need to suck Look, the power out of a star to kill a planet. Like, yeah. if you kill the star, you're killing every planet. <laughs> I don't care if there's an explosion or sound or whatever. When I'm at the movies, I want the experience. Yes, that's right. There was, <laughs> there, there, was, there was a part, it's funny, that there was a part in one of the like recent Star Wars movies where there was an explosion and part of the movie was they got rid of the sound and heaps of people apparently complained to the cinema because they thought that part of the movie was broken. Oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, apparently that is just a bunch of dots around a... a well, that could be the Star of David. If we're talking about what things could be, did they just preemptively, you know, say, yep, that's the Jewish... Like, the Jews were around back then, I guess. No, no, no. I, I, I tell you what happens. Space I, I, I Jews. Can tell you exactly. No, I can t- it's the sun, and the other one's the sun too. It's just, you know, the artist got a little bit tired, uh, you know, <laughs> and says, Anthony, come on over. I need you to draw a, a yeah. star and some planets. And yeah, you go, yeah, sure. Yeah. No worries, and I, I show you how the I show you how the stars done, and you're all going yeah 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 whatever, you know yeah you're the intern you don't really care, and <laughs> yeah, and off right. you go, yeah that's right. Mm. I'm up for that for sure. I'm up for that. I'm still amazed. Like he's gone. Yes, he's found this one panel in the middle of all of them and gone. Look at that. I'm all right because this one uh- panel. That's, there could be heaps cool. of others that had nine planets, but this one they added two more as well. Ah, that's ah, right. ah, well, and the sun's a planet too. That's twelve. Look at that! I'm right again. And so, if this is to if this is to scale, those two gods <laughs> are bigger than the sun and the planets. So this is no, pretty accurate. The distance. They're in the distance. You see, it's oh, the visual, it's a visual thing. All right. <laughs> Come on, Kieran. So, so Don't it, be ridiculous. <laughs> the, the, the people are bigger. Like, we learned about, like, uh, level five. Levels, level five? I was going to say these are level, level five tens. Consciousness, level five consciousness people are, like, averaging are 50 huge, feet yeah. tall or something. These people these are level, are, these are level like tens. Two million. Level 20s. They, they, they're, they're bigger than planets. Bigger than planets. Yeah. Anyway. All right, let's, let's get tablet we looked at, there is a six-sided star around the central circle. Further, critics point out that there is nowhere in any other text in Sumerian or Mesopotamian tablets that suggests the Sumerians knew that there were more than five planets. A man named Michael Heiser, one of the leading debunkers for Sitchin's work and the author of SitchinIsWrong.com, describes that the circles <laughs> may represent some star clusters. I got to admit, I've been on that website before. And oh, of course, you have. It's amazing, but he also debunks like ancient aliens as well. Like it's a double, yeah. and he is absolutely fantastic. Like everything, he's just like, no, that, that's that's wrong. <laughs> is he amazing. still alive? And can you can you get him on the show? I I would love to get him on the show. I will try. <laughs> that is my promise. I will at least try to get him on the show. or relate with some deity connected with fertility due to the other information on the same tablet. He also suggests that it could describe the 12 member council of the Mesopotamian gods called the Anunnaki. Told you, 12 rings. He insists that it's absolutely not a solar system. 
What do you think? Do you believe this could be a solar system? Please share your thoughts about it in the comments. Now, Michael Moser has presented think? a great deal of information on his numerous websites explaining his theories of the Sumerian tablets, how Sitchin is wrong, See, and the what problem he is that looks like the most say. That looks like the most untrustworthy website ever. Yeah, that's that's, like, that's just full of. I mean, you know. Or, or it was built in the year two thousand. That's right. You know, it just had true. Why, why modernize? Why modernize? Yeah. I like here. Can I put it out there though? He's got. <laughs> I, I do love this guy, but I'm going to say yes. You might have to update his his web page simply because he's got on the left hand side. He's got the bar of things you could click on. I was just looking at that. Yeah. Is, the first one is my letter to Mr. Sitchin. The second one is my resume, which I guess is good because he wants to show his credentials. And the third one is my tax returns. <laughs> That's a that's a real like he's more upfront than Trump. I'll give him that. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but other maybe, than that, I don't. <laughs> maybe maybe Sitchin has come out and has tried to be like, well, you think you're so good, Joe? Your tax returns. And he's like, okay, here you go. Oh yeah. Your Why move, not? Sitchin. Why not? Why not? <laughs> but of course, with every debunker, there's a debunker for that debunker. And a man named Eric Vandenberg published a document titled Heiser is Wrong in response and explains that due to Michael being a fundamentalist Christian, his perspectives on the tablets usually attempts to place the stories inside a worldview that fits with his own Christian perspective. Eric breaks down a number of ways that Sitchin was actually correct despite Michael Heiser saying he wasn't. One example is that according to Heiser, there is not a single Sumerian text that associates the Anunnaki with Nibiru. And he then challenges ancient astronaut theorists to show him such a text. He encourages investigators to use the online electronic text corpus of Sumerian literature or ETCSL to do their research. However, these websites to the are ETCSL, amazing. Not only are the Anunnaki found in I'm feeling like it's like King's Quest. That's the vibes I was getting from <laughs> that. Um, this is also like she said, he said. Yeah, this is getting a bit redundant <laughs> now. It's like, just show us your side of things and give us some links rather than showing us this story. In or associated with Nibiru, but they are found there quite frequently. Though this is not to suggest that Nibiru is explicitly a planet, the discussion about what Nibiru is, is definitely still up in the air. We'll post links in the comments so that you can read the work of both of these men and decide for yourself what you choose to believe. Again, we always want to remind everyone to practice healthy skepticism and discernment when looking over the information. Of course, it's obvious that no ancient translation is going to be 100% accurate about everything, especially when there are so many renditions of the various stories across history. Not to mention, if the ETCSL or Sumerian lexicon book got even a small number of translations incorrect, it could lead to huge amounts of information being interpreted wrong, or at least very different from its original. Kieran, uh, we've talked about this before, but how mm -hmm. for something to be set, I guess, set in stone, I don't mean to have that pun because obviously the Sumerian stone tablets and stuff, but yeah. set in stone is this is the, the, like, what we consider the best argument across the board uh -huh. 
for for a scientific paper or a scientific piece of information how many how higher quality must that be before it gets released into the public and to say yes this is the one to use it it has to go through very rigorous testing across the board oh yeah yeah to get any paper published in in the scientific community it is um uh, to be respected enough to be across the board to be across the board church if you publish something and i was your reviewer i'm going to deny you yeah that's just what i'm going to do i'm just going to say this is terrible do it again Mm. and you'll do it again and then i'm going to deny it again (laughs) and then you're going to do it again and then maybe you'll complain and you'll go to another reviewer who's going to deny you it's constant failure in the scientific community (laughs) that's why you're also happy yeah (laughs) (laughs) original intention Speaking of interpretations, it's important that we recognize the version we have been exploring of the Tiamat and Marduk battle as these planets is only one interpretation, and there are others out there just as compelling. I'd love to take a moment now to explore another version that is extremely interesting, which is found within the Electric Universe theory. Ladies and gentlemen, we've been streaming for an hour and a, and a half here, and uh, we've still got about 20 minutes left of this video. <laughs> I, I thought to myself we could do it in two, but it feels like it feels like a three-parter. Do you say yeah, it we does do feel a like a three-parter next, on next Sunday, and uh, we get this one out to the people to make up their own minds and do their own research before we come back? What do you say? Uh, sounds brilliant, Turch. Sounds brilliant. I think this is the right time to pause it before we get I into the electric so theory. I think so too. I think so too. I think the, the Thunderbolts project here is uh, is throwing me for a loop and uh, I need to do some sort of research to have some sort of uh, quality content and opinions before we get into this next discussion here. So look, I would like to thank everybody in the chat for joining in today. There's been lots of interesting stuff from uh, even crazier conspiracy theories to actual information that's helped us out across the board. So thank you all. We'd like to thank our guest, Traj, for coming in for part two of this insanity because uh, he's been... We need a third person sometimes. <laughs> I don't know how we do it, but um, and obviously, Kieran, thank you so much for being the best number one podcast CEO I can't wait for your awards. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very uh, much. If anyone out, anyone in the chat has anything that would like to send us, if we want us to see some crazy conspiracy videos and we can talk through them all together, please send us, please send them to us any via any social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and obviously follow us on iTunes, Inst, uh, in, in SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube. And YouTube, obviously, make sure you hit that bell, subscribe, all that sort of fun stuff. Um, but Hang on, we'll open up. Can... We'll open up. We'll open up next week's church with, "Hey, yeah. everybody, <laughs> <laughs> what's up, Definitely. guys? <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe. Do lots of jump cuts as well. I think that's the important thing when we do those sort of things. But the important thing is, if you do want to send us something for us to have a look at, something exciting. The best David Icke video, some Bashar, if you want to check them out, or anything else, 
that that's got conspiracy theory stuff. Um, <laughs> uh, hillbilly, you just said eugenics. Uh, yep, that's uh, yeah, that's something. Um, <laughs> but we'll definitely, but definitely send us an email and send us the links at we only do one take podcast at gmail.com and we'll prepare all that and uh, we'll go from there. But ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tonight, and we will see you all next week for the final part of the Nibiru story, which I hope is even crazier than what we've seen today. We'll see you all later. Bye. Bye.